Welcome back to the 120th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including one talking about why men should be more involved in the abortion discussion, a new bill that went through Wisconsin clarifying some of their abortion stances and strengthening adoption programs, and then our final article will talk about how the Chinese economy is moving a little bit slower post-COVID than some people thought it would. And of course, we will end today with our daily delight. Story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. All right, now that's enough rambling from me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So do you see a place, and this is in regards to our first article, do you see a place in the abortion conversation for men? You know, it's a highly debated question. Some say that men should stay out of it. It's not their body. They're not involved. While others argue that they're half of the equation. And this is a serious conversation that needs to be had. And I like how this first article is trying to tackle this. I don't necessarily appreciate the angle that they come from and don't agree with everything they say, but they pose some good points. So let me know what your thought process is. Throw it down in the comment section. I'd love to hear what y'all have to say. So our first article, like I mentioned, comes from the Daily Beast. We should frame reproductive rights as a man's issue. Now, when I first read that coming from the Daily Beast, I was a little bit surprised. But also, it does make some sense. If you exclude almost half of the population from a conversation, like some people have wanted to on the abortion issue, saying, oh, men shouldn't have an opinion on it then you actually exclude people that may be in that demographic that support your cause. So it seems like the abortion movement's starting to say, okay, hey, we're in a tough spot right now. Roe v. Wade got overturned. It went back to the states. So now we really need allies on our side. So you kind of see them flip-flopping a little bit, and maybe it's just out of convenience that they're going to this new argument, but maybe they're starting to realize that men are a part of the process too. So... That's what exactly what the first quote's about. Hey, there are two people involved here, so let's jump to it. Quote, It's a lesson we must remember today. Every pregnancy is the result of two people, one of whom cannot get pregnant. While we absolutely need all genders in the discussion of reproductive rights, cisgender people are not the only ones who experience pregnancies. I like to address cisgender men. We are leaving these men out of the conversation. On the one hand, Roe v. Wade was overturned by men and one woman. Men who oppose access to reproductive rights already make their opinion known, more than their pro-choice counterparts. Which is true. The men who are not for abortions, they are very, very vocal, and they come out and they make sure that everybody knows their opinion. But she's really trying to appeal to this group of men who have the mentality... Actually, let me read here, because she tries to explain what their mentality may be. Quote, that's not to say there are no vocal pro-choice men, but the gender intensity gap is real. The same percentage of men as women support reproductive rights, about 63% of women said abortion was a very important issue, versus 49% of men, which, I mean, that's not, that's close. That's 13 percentage points off. That's not the same amount exactly, but... We'll give them a little bit of a pass there. And 40% of women report having given a lot of thought on the issue versus 30% of men. 
end quote. Then again, they're both of those. They said, oh, yes, the there's the same amount of people on the male side and the female side. No, no, that's a 10 percentage point difference in giving it a lot of thought and a 13 percentage point difference in understanding or thinking whether it's a very important issue. But there's still a large chunk of both groups that have either thought about it heavily or who think it is a very important issue. What's interesting, though, is that I would be, I want to see the breakdown of that 49% that said it's a very important issue because they could believe that it's a very important issue in either direction. They could say it's very important that we don't support abortions, and we could say it's very important that we do protect the women's choice to abort their child. Or I would want to see the breakdown of that 63% of women who said it's a very important issue. Because just because you say that it is an important issue to them, that doesn't mean that we're going to know exactly why it is one. And maybe it's that the people who are really passionate about it, who believe it's a really important issue, probably fall on either extreme. They probably fall on the, no, we need to protect all life from day one, from conception, or we need to ensure that the woman has the ability to abort the child all the way up until whenever she feels like it, or whenever she feels like it may be harsh, but allow there to be an abortion up until the last minute in case there are any complications and you don't want them to have to deal with negative legal consequences because there's a complication in their pregnancy. And if you feel like I'm not being fair there, please do let me know. I was trying to give both sides in a way that's not too biased and try to give a fair representation of their point of view. But what's interesting, how she started off, there are two people involved in this process, and I most definitely agree with this this logic. The decision to have sexual relations is one that is not the burden cannot be borne by just one person and that's what's unfortunate about the way that pregnancies work and i'm not trying to say all oh, pregnancy is bad and because of these situations i'm saying a woman if she gets pregnant she has to deal with the consequences of her actions she has to deal with the consequences of that one night of fun for nine months a guy he can just step in and he can leave. Now, is that okay? That's morally reprehensible, in my opinion. If you impregnate somebody, if you made a decision to have sex with somebody, you should have known, first off, that having a child with them is possible if you're not using the right types of protection. And even then, it could still happen. So if you're going to walk away, you are a scumbag. You need to have responsibility and take agency over your life and make sure that if you do something and it has consequences, you deal with the consequences. No, you don't run away like a little child, especially when the mother is going to have to deal with it for nine months. You're literally just leaving her there, sitting and stewing over this huge, huge decision as to whether or not she wants to raise this child. And then you walk away, and you basically give her no option. I mean, let's be clear, there are single mothers out there, but I would guess, and this is a guess, I'm not saying this is backed up by fact, I would guess that women are more inclined to want to get an abortion when the father says that he will not be a part of the situation or a part of the raising of the child because women feel like they don't have any support. They feel as though they're not going to be able to disrupt their lives and be supported while doing so in order to have a child. And if a man was to be responsible and to say, okay, yes, I messed up, 
I did this thing. I did this action. I had sex with you. And you know what? I am going to bear the responsibility of my actions. I'm going to stick around and I am going to help you raise this child. I feel like, and this is opinion again, that more women would be inclined to not have to go through a terrible process that can scar them for the rest of their lives. So that's just my opinion on it. So that's why I do think men should be involved in this process a little bit more. And the author goes on to explain how men are affected by this process as well, as well beyond what I just talked about. Quote, I applaud any man who thinks before expressing an opinion. And uh, let's be clear, I'm not saying I don't, I agree with this comment. I, that's what I was trying to get out. I agree with this comment, not necessarily just on this issue, but in general. I, I have a problem of not necessarily thinking through everything as thoroughly as it should be before I speak. And any person who's able to do that, man or woman, I, I appreciate them. And I think that they are a lot wiser than I am. Quote, it's a rare and undervalued habit. At the same time, while a cisgender man is correct that reproductive rights impact women more than him, he is wrong if he thinks he is unaffected. I've been on birth control for 15 years. My impetus is largely to protect myself, but I want to protect my partners too, all of whom have their own lives, ambitions, and the same right as I do to decide if and when to procreate. Among men under 20 who are, were involved in a pregnancy, those whose partners had abortions are almost four times as likely to finish college. The average child support recipient receives $3,400 as of 2019, and a men account for 85% of payers. There's also the fertility gap. Women are fertile for several days of a month, while men are fertile 24-7. Billy Joel, <laughs> I love that they bring up Billy Joel here, Billy Joel is about to have his third daughter at 65. Women's fertility dips sharply at 35, as any child-free woman over 27 hears six times per day. Quite simply, men have more chances to benefit from abortion access. And this is also true. I think that they're taking an interesting, they're taking an interesting tact here, which is saying that if a man goes out and sleeps with a woman since he's fertile 24 7 and she's only fertile a certain period of time and he can have kids until he's 80 if everything's functioning properly that he has more chances to actually be affected by an abortion that could upend his life and even if he doesn't want the child the mother could go through with it and then he'll be paying child support for the rest of his life which averages out to be about 3400 I think she's taking a very interesting tack here. And it does point out, yes, men can be affected by this process. But I'll be honest with you, men have known this for a long time. A lot of conversations that I've had with different men, and even some women, talks about how the, the process seems a little bit unfair. And I'm not trying to say, oh, this is an unfair process. Oh, no, no, ribbity, rip, rah, rah, rah. Be mean and angry about it. No, no. What I'm trying to say is, yes, men have realized that even if they do not want the child, the woman can go through with the pregnancy, and then they'll be forced to pay child care, even though they had voiced their opinion and said that they do not want to have the child. And then also... 
they don't have a say in the inverse. If they do want the child and the woman does not want the child, they have no say. So men have felt for a long time that the system, the legal system, is not necessarily in their favor. And when I hear this, I say, oh, boo-woo. Okay, just don't, don't have unprotected sex. If you really feel passionate that you don't want to deal with any of these problems, don't have sex until you're with somebody that you're willing to bear a child with and you know is willing to bear a child with you. There's maybe a little bit of personal responsibility that could factor in there. But besides my personal opinion on it, the author's right. Men can be negatively affected as well. So this is a conversation that's been happening in the background and guys have been having it for a while. And it's interesting now that it's making it into the mainstream as women or even just pro-abortion advocates are looking for another party, another demographic that can be tapped, basically, to help support their push for more pro-abortion policies as things return to the state level. All right, so let's jump to our next article. This one comes from Just the News. Wisconsin pro-life lawmakers pitch abortion clarification, adoption encouragement. So if you read that headline, you're thinking, okay, okay. So we're pivoting away from a pro-abortion argument to a pro- or, oh, sorry, I was about to use pro-life. And these terms are so heated, they're just a way to... I don't want to say cloudy or muddy the waters, but they're just a way to not speak the true issue. You are either pro-abortion or you are anti-abortion. So these anti-abortion lawmakers, we're talking about them now, and we're talking about a new bill that they're putting forward. So you're probably like, okay, we're pivoting away from the social movement and trying to have a stronger connection between the male and female sides of the pro-choice movement. There I go again. You see what happens? You see how these terms are so engendered? So we're pivoting from a pro-abortion article to a anti-abortion article. But the other reason I brought this up is because it talks about another part of the process that is really important, which is adoption. This is always something that is brought up when people are going in for abortions. Some family members who are against abortion will always say, well, why don't you adopt and I think this is an important part of the conversation to allow for more options for mothers who don't necessarily want to go through the process of raising a child, but still don't feel okay with aborting the child during the pregnancy. Quote, lawmakers in Wisconsin have a new plan that makes is making the rounds at the Capitol in Madison. State Senator Romaine Quinn a, and a handful of state representatives are looking for co-sponsors for what they are calling the Embrace Them Both plans. The first plan will clarify with Wisconsin's abortion laws, explicitly stating that a medical procedure designed to prevent the death of a pregnant woman, such as the removal of a miscarriage or an entopic pregnancy, is not an abortion. The plan also wants to expand and extend Wisconsin's tax credit for children from $700 to 1000 and to include unborn children, end quote. So you can see this, this tactic here, which is, okay, if you go through with the pregnancy, and we're going to talk about the second comment first, and then we'll talk about the first one. If you go through with the pregnancy, your tax credit is going to go up a little bit. So this is trying to actively encourage more parents. And, you know, it may be beneficial to people who just happen to get pregnant and have a child, but this is really encouraging family planning saying, okay, hey, 
We want you to have more kids. We will give you more off of your taxes. We'll give you more of a credit if you are willing to have children. And also, just to encourage pregnancy itself, we will include unborn children in this. So if you feel that you can't necessarily, you're not in a financial position to start a family, maybe that extra $300 for the duration of the pregnancy, not just when the child is actually born, maybe that can encourage more people to have children. So you can see actually not just a anti-abortion stance here, but a pro-family response, which is something I think they're going to push on very hard. Hard, And if you are thinking, well, okay, this doesn't necessarily have to do with abortion directly, I would argue the exact opposite. If you have policies that are in place to strengthen the family, then you're going to have more people thinking about starting a family and having that, having their worldview tilted in that direction, meaning that they're probably going to be less inclined to just mess around and sleep around or just go out and have a fun time and have sex, and they're going to see sex as a more sacred thing to be shared within a family. And even if they don't see it that way, they'll start thinking about families earlier, which will probably, and I say probably, it will cause them to get into a more serious relationship earlier than their 30s, meaning there's less chances for them to have sex outside of marriage, therefore less chances for an abortion to happen. So you can see the connecting thread there. And then I do like that they're clarifying here. Okay, hey, if you have a miscarriage and we got to remove the baby, we're not going to say that's abortion. If you have an entopic, ectopic pregnancy, that's not an abortion. This was a huge part of the conversation when Roe v. Wade was repealed on the federal level or sorry, I take him back. The decision was made by the Supreme Court to overturn the decision in Roe v. Wade. That's a better way to actually phrase it. And it went back to the states. And so many states were putting in abortion bans. And people were like, well, what about these certain situations? What about these very rare situations? Well, doctors aren't going to operate because they're afraid that they're going to break the law. So now... We have this process. It may have taken a while to get here, but we have this beautiful process called legislation and legislating, and we've noticed, okay, there were a few holes. We didn't necessarily clarify what we needed to. We feel like we're disenfranchising a certain part of the population. Okay, we're going to clarify this, and now it is in law that you cannot be criminally prosecuted and a doctor cannot be criminally prosecuted for going about a procedure that's going to save the life of the mother or different hard medical decisions that need to be made on the topic of abortion. So the reason I think this is important is because it shows people that are pro-choice, hey, you may not agree, sorry, the people that are pro-abortion, you may not agree with the overall legislation and that's okay you do you it's fine if you want to move to a different state where it's possible to have an abortion go there but know if you're staying in this state you don't have to fear the legal process if your pregnancy goes wrong and i think that's a strong message saying we heard you we listened we saw how prevalent this actually was and now we're addressing it legally it shows that there's a little bit of hope to people who have fear about these issues. And maybe it doesn't have to be as divisive as they thought because they could still politically pressure different re legislators and representatives and have their voice heard on these important issues. I think that's a good step forward. So what are the other provisions that are being proposed here? 
Quote, the lawmakers also want to send pregnancy resource centers $1 million and create a $5 million fund to help make adoptions more affordable. Quote, all four of these bills work to protect and uphold children, both born and unborn, and families, both new and existing. Pro Being pro-life is about embracing and affirming life in all stages at all times, both parents and children. Then that quote came from Rep. Amanda Neweski. She is a Republican from the Pleasant Prairie. She also said, quote, allowing families that are expected expecting a child to claim the dependent tax exemption will better support families, end quote. Rep. Pat San, uh, Snyder said, quote, Increasing the exemption demonstrates Wisconsin's commitment to parents and children and will ensure that Wisconsin remains a great place to raise a family, end quote. So you can see where this is going on. You can see the tack that they want to take. And it's actually very politically advantageous to come at this saying it's not just about abortions and not just about the child in the womb, but it's also about supporting families and people who are very pro-family, are going to like that messaging, and they're going to go along, even if they don't agree with the abortion position as much, they're going to go along a little bit easier with this sort of wording. And, you know, there may be those that are detracting, but I think pro-family policies are not just important, I think they're honestly pretty darn necessary here in the United States. Because let's discuss two sides of it. One, we have a tearing of the social fabric. And if you notice, a lot of this has happened ever since the single motherhood rate has increased and have no fault of their own. I'm not trying to imply that. But as more people are growing up without fathers in the household or even mothers in the household, you have a one-parent household, there's less social cohesion. Those children get a warped vision of the ideal they don't see their two parents working together, coming together, having disagreements, just like everybody does, but working through it, which can be a very valuable lesson that you need to learn as a young child. They don't get the proper social education, or at least the proper social education for what America has been for a long time, and the values that are ingrained in the American society. So you can see when this happens, when you don't have the system, or you don't have the institution of a family that is so deeply ingrained in the institution of America, then you can see how there's going to start to be a clash of values. Because if the American values are purposely built around the idea of a family and the family's falling apart, then those kids that are growing up in those less than ideal family situations are going to resent, maybe not agree. They may come out of it just great and they may be really strong for it, but they may not see the value in that family institution and then therefore try to rip away at it on the societal level, which causes tearing in the social fabric. And also there's the other side of it. In my opinion, we, we need to have more kids. America's birth rate, natural birth rate, is just about holding steady. The only reason we are having a population increase, for the most part, is because of immigration, which is great. More people, if they want to come to this country legally and they want to add to America, they also want to do better for themselves, absolutely phenomenal. But we need to make sure that our demographics don't shift so much that we have a demographic collapse because a lot of our social programs rely on the next generation to pay for the past generation. And I think as people become more educated, as more women go into the workforce and they're not having kids until later, we're seeing a drop in birth rates. 
And this is going to be a trend that happens all across the world. As people become more, women especially, become more educated, they get more involved in the corporate world or even just the working world, they're less likely to have kids. And eventually we're going to start to see a decline across the entire world population in probably about 30, 40, maybe 50 years. And we're starting to see it. We've already seen it in Germany, Japan, really the first world nations. And we're starting to see something similar in the U.S. It's kind of been mitigated by the fact that we have a lot of Christian families who want to have a lot of children. But I think this is a serious demographic issue that we'll be facing if we don't say, hey, we're pro-family. At least replace the two people that you're taking away from society when you die. If not, maybe have one extra one. So we have a little bit more labor. We have a little bit more intellectual capacity as well. But that's a really deep, deep argument. I think it's important that we have pro-family policies for the two reasons that I laid out, as well as the ones that are being laid out here in this bill. So I think that Wisconsin is taking an interesting tact here, and they're trying to take it from all sides. We'll see how the people like it. And I feel like even though the Republicans are pushing their pro, or sorry, their anti-abortion position, I feel as though they're trying to be fair to the other side as much as they can be without giving up their principles, which is something you want to see because obviously they have to work with the Democrats in their state. They have Democrat constituents who may like some of their policies and not others. So we have to keep negotiating with one another. And it's promising to see that in Wisconsin, that they're not going absolute extreme, saying there are no exceptions, or saying that we have to have family policies. We're going to implement authoritarian laws that you have to have a certain amount of kids. They're trying to create incentives rather than mandates. And I think this is a good move on the part of Wisconsin. All right, so we're going to jump to our last story. It's going to be a pretty quick one. It comes from the Wall Street Journal. China's recovery slows further as factories and services activity pulls back. So when China was going through all its baloney with its really, really tight COVID lockdowns. There was an idea that, okay, once this is all over, once the protests happened and everything started to open up a little bit, manufacturing is going to come back like crazy. Services are going to come back like crazy. There's going to be so much demand, not just externally from around the world because of all the supply chain issues, but there's also going to be internal demand. And that didn't necessarily come to fruition. So let's actually talk about the what's happening right now, and then maybe some contributing factors. Quote, China's factory activity contracted for a second straight month while growth in the service sector slowed. The latest signs that the country's reopening growth momentum is struggling to take hold. An official gauge of the country's manufacturing activity slipped unexpectedly to 48.8 in May, falling deeper into contradictory territory even as the broader economy has been unshackled from three years of strict zero-COVID restrictions. The Purchasing Managers Index remained below the 50% line that separates expansion from contraction for a second straight month, falling short of April's 49.2 result and the 49.7 forecast by economists surveyed by the Wall Street Journal. Meanwhile, services activity softened in May from the previous month, a worrying sign that the segment of the economy will drive the rebound may be losing momentum, end quote. So to mention what they're talking about here, there is basically a picture of graph. You have a line at the 50-yard line. Well, actually, yeah, let's do a football field. Imagine you have a football field. You have your two end zones, and then you have the 50-yard line. If you're above the 50-yard line, 
and you're going towards the opponent's end zone, then, hey, your economy, your services economy, your factory, there's uh, expansion, there's growth. You're getting more contracts. You're able to fulfill more orders, so on and so forth. So you're growing. You're making more money. And then imagine if you're below the 50-yard line, you're getting pushed back by the other team. You're not doing as well. You're not necessarily getting as many contracts. You're not producing as much as you should or could or have the capacity to, and you're starting to decline a little bit. So right now they're saying the factory production, that's below the line, and even though the services economy is above the line, it's kind of having a deep, deep dip towards that 50 mark. So you can see that, or you can at least hear, and if you do want to see it, there are charts in the article itself on the Wall Street Journal website. I have a link in the description for it below the like and subscribe button. Go down there. So you can hear at least that China's not necessarily doing so well. And this is scary for a lot of people because over the course of the pandemic, a lot of the larger hedge funds on Wall Street said, oh, hey, stocks are dipping in China because of these COVID restrictions. But once everything's loosened up, they're going to explode back onto the world economy. They are going to take over again, and they're going to keep growing at the rate they were before. So let's dump a little bit of money in slowly but surely. And we've had a lot of talk about encouraging more investment in China because it looks like the next leading economy of the world. And you saw a lot of reports come out from BlackRock and State Street about it. So now that it's slowing a little bit, it's a little bit scary for those people that have invested all that money. So what's the effects or what are the causes? We'll highlight this and then I'll move on to our daily delight. Quote, the pullback came despite a promising snapback in tourism during a five-day-long national holiday earlier in the month. Taken together, the weaker-than-expected numbers on factory and services activity point to a tepid and short-lived post-COVID economic rebound. This is particularly concerning given the host of structural problems such as debt pressures and an unfavorable demographic outlook, which is what I was talking about with America. China is going to have a demographic collapse because they weren't having enough children. Sorry, let's get back to the article. Quote, the economists say threatened the country's larger term growth potential. Despite logging relatively robust gross domestic product growth of 4.5% in the first quarter, China's economy is still facing a host of challenges, including record youth unemployment, property investment regain property investment remains sluggish pointing to subdued demand end quote and you also i'm not surprised that the property investments are sluggish because you saw a boom in the chinese economy where people were just buying houses and condos that they had never seen before because the housing costs just kept going up and up and up and up it was kind of a speculation market but then Nobody was able to sell them because the prices were getting so high. Nobody actually ever went to go to this one condo that they bought in a far-off city because they just saw it as an investment. And now that you see young people who are dealing with high unemployment, they don't even have the funds to buy one house, let alone a second house that they're going to use as an investment. So you can see that speculation is definitely going to slow down, especially after a huge COVID pandemic when everything was locked down for a long time. So we'll see how China comes out of this one. The only reason I want to bring it up is because I feel like we've been really pro-China. And I say that from an investment standpoint. Wall Street has been very pro-China. And it may come back to bite them in the butt now. All right, let's jump to our daily delight. This one comes from Fox News. 
Zoo Joy. Hearts melt when an orangutan asks to see a baby through enclosure, then kisses the glass. So mothers come in all shapes and sizes, and they also come from different species. Quote, a curious orangutan melted hearts in Louisville, Kentucky Zoo last weekend when she knocked on the glass of a wall of her enclosure asking to further inspect a baby who was visiting the zoo. End quote. But that's not the only thing she wanted to do or when she saw the baby. She wanted to give her admiration as well. Quote, they brought him over so she could see him and she kissed the glass two times, Nassie told Storyfold. End quote. And it's just, it's just beautiful. You love to see our cousins admiring babies and having respect for them. And maybe it speaks to the fact that babies are important in any culture whatsoever, any species whatsoever. And we can see similar habits to how we treat and love our kids and our cousins and our evolutionary line. All right. With all that said, if you want to see any of the cute photos or videos from this article or read any of the other articles that I talked about today, there'll be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find the links to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Podvine, as well as the Twitter handle at Your Daily Flip. And since it's Friday when you're hearing this, but I'm recording this on Thursday, yesterday I posted a... Twitter tirade, which is a Twitter-only content, which is probably like 10 minutes, a little bit less formal, and I'm going to be trying to do that every so every so often, probably Tuesdays and Thursdays if I can get it unlocked. It's really casual, and it's just me ranting about issues that I think are important and are a little bit more cultural in nature and don't necessarily have to pertain directly to the news cycle. So if you want to see that, go over to the Twitter, like I said, at your daily flip. And you should see it, be able to see it in beautiful 1080p. All right. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.